On the next AOA, we'll talk markets and we'll talk weather. John Baranek of DTN will join us. Tune in next time to AOA. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We've got a lot coming on today's program. We're going to talk markets in just a moment with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing. And then in Sigma 2, we're not going to get an update, rather, from Washington, D.C. Jackie Fatka, Associate Editor at AgriPulse, will be joining us. And then in the third segment, we're going to turn the focus to cotton. Saw a change in cotton exports heading out to Bangladesh, a huge consumer of U.S. cotton. And it's a change for the good for U.S. cotton producers. So Don Parker, the Vice President of Technical Services at the Cotton County, Council will be joining us, and then we're going to close the show talking weather. Greg Solier, meteorologist from This Week in Agribusiness, will join us at the end of the program. We're going to kick it off here with the markets. We've got mixed trade starting the day in the grains, corn down, beans up. We've got wheat mixed. We're not going to start there, though. Dwayne Bussey, Bolt Marketing, joins us now. And Dwayne, I want to pick it up with Thursday's move in the live cattle complex. Fill us in on what happened uh, yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, well, cash bids started to rise quite a bit yesterday out in feedlot country, and they kept being passed, actually. The funny thing is I haven't heard of a whole lot of cash volume yet this week. I, I know this morning uh, I had one of our brokers. He's got some cattle on show list. He was bid 186 and passed, which, of course, that would be sharply higher than last week. Um, the Packer did say they're going to buy a lot of cattle at 187, but um, ironically, there's not a lot of cattle out there. Otherwise, we'd be... <laughs> buying them for 160. So that's the problem is there's a hole in production right here that we were talking about before. And it's a fun time to be in a feedlot. It is a fun time, but Dwayne, this hole in production, this mismatch between supply and demand, you've been beating the drum on this for shoot a year. We've been talking about this coming change. Is it here? Is this the time to grab the bull by the horns and market long-term or is there more room to run? No, I, I think this is the time. I mean, it's fun. And, and yes, it, it can go higher. Maybe it can go sharply higher. I, I don't know how tight this production scene is going to be. But what I'm looking at, Mike, is I look out like of April of next year at 186 and feeder cattle for January of 247. And I think of the LRP insurance, which is, you know, basically a glorified or a subsidized put option. Just get some floors on stuff like that out there. With the LRP, you don't have to pay it till next, next well, when it terminates. So if you go out a full year, that's when you have to pay for it. Either get a check in the mail or you're going to get a bill in the mail. But uh, it's just smart business no matter how bullish I am, the cattle market. We've gotten to levels where I just want guys to make money next year too. 
Yeah, that's what it's about. These these margins are still tight. There's an opportunity here to lock in some some gains long term. Dwayne, before we move off the topic of cattle, this is, as you mentioned, huge jump. I think maybe one of the largest jumps in cash trade we've seen potentially in history. 187, is it going to get the cattle bought this week or is it going to have to push to 190, Dwayne? <laughs> I, I think the 187 does get cattle bought, but let's say they do buy a lot at 187. That just means there's less available for next week. Um, then it's going to end up probably pushing to 190. I, I was so proud of myself because I think you and I talked about June uh, futures getting to 170, but I couldn't, I couldn't even brag about it because now I feel like I missed the high by such a long mark. Um, you know, June goes into delivery next week, so it's got to get somewhere close to cash. But those these prices we're talking about are prices up north. In the south, of course, they'll be at a discount. So it, futures will meet somewhere in the middle. That's a great point. But, uh, Dwayne, I saw a headline, and maybe you know if this is accurate or not, 180 did trade cash in the south. I was heard that's a record price for cash cattle down south. So these markets are hitting everywhere, it seems. Oh, absolutely. You're right. I did see that one, too. I couldn't confirm it myself. I just know it's it's just higher than last week, and the futures are are moving accordingly, let's put it that way. Well, looking at those high-priced feeders, those folks writing those checks for them today, Dwayne are able to buy corn at a little bit of a discount for today, but we're still up on the week. Let's talk about where you see this old crop corn market headed. Uh, sadly, probably lower. I'm looking at this old crop corn, you know, the July board is here for a little while longer, but I'm worried that um, the guys out there, elevators are probably going to roll out of July a little earlier than normal when in this inverse and go out to September. So the July board might struggle a little bit. Of course, I had, you know, weekly export sales this morning, which we had a positive number, which we all joked about is a good thing because we've had negative numbers the last two weeks, but Barely being positive for exports is not a good thing for corn, of course. We have to really remember that the demand has been rationed in corn and soybean as far as export demand. Um, so if we get a weather scare, which we're having, and we get a significant rally next week, I, I think it's actually a rally that's meant to be sold. Dwayne, is that true? Even with this dryness that's accelerating across the Corn Belt? I know you're up in northern South Dakota. You were dealing with snow way longer than <laughs> you expected to, but uh, things have changed, haven't they? Oh, I, I don't think I can ever say that I've seen the weather flip like it has. And you're right, literally, it sounds funny now, but a month ago I was not planning because we had snow banks and, and not like little snow banks, like deep, huge snow banks along tree lines. And all of a sudden for weeks, we've been 85 sunny and windy, which is great because we've been able to plant and get some crop ins. We'll, we'll still have prevent plant, but yeah, it is getting dry, and we are going to start robbing some yield in this Illinois crop that's you know further along. Once the corn gets up to you know V four V five, it starts to you know determining ear girth. So we're going to make some small ears if we don't get a rain next week, and it it's not in the forecast. So it's justified to rally here, Mike. But the funds are short, and they want to protect those shorts. I've been disappointed in the corn market this week a little bit. Soybean side, Dwayne, we're seeing a rally take place there today. Different fundamental factors. Uh, not really, but it just seems like, you know, the markets, the funds aren't heavily short the soybean market. So I think it's okay for that market. They're letting it run a little bit higher. And, and this is really good because now it looks like soybeans are going to close higher for the week where corn, it felt like the funds defended their short positions earlier in the week and hammered it lower where the forecast is still hot and dry. Yes, the GFS model wants to always put some rain in day 14, 15 out, but that's a long way out. It'll all be about the weather Sunday night, but even though I'm talking like this drought is bad, which it is, I, I'm just going to assume eventually it does rain and we will have a crop. And so, 
you know, this rally probably needs to be sold because, like I said, export demand has been rationed. We need to remember that in the back of our mind. Dwayne, what's managed money doing in this environment? We've got the debt ceiling now removed as an issue. We've got the strong labor market gain. We got the Dow up big today. S&P's up big. Are we going to yeah. see money leaving the commodity markets to go back into the equities potentially? Hey, it's possible a little bit here. You know, they they were long corn for so long, about two years, and now they're short. And they don't just flip flop back and forth just for the fun of it. So. I think they want to go short and maybe go short about 300,000 contracts if we have good weather. So that's my fear is they're just going to grind this market down this summer. But of course, got to rain. That's a big if, isn't it? It has got to rain. That is the story. Dwayne, before we let you go, the wheat market, we're seeing some some mixed trade there today. Any headlines you're keeping an eye on in wheat? Uh, all headlines. Uh, the headline I saw overnight is that Ukraine is out there saying that Russia has blocked the Black Sea corridor again. And if that's true, you know, that's your number one global wheat exporter that can't get wheat out. So that is a bullish thing. But boy, I don't know about you, Mike. I get tired of the Ukraine-Russia story all the time. It's on again, off again all the time. But we do have to remember that war is going on still. That's true. And we're probably going to see those impacts, headline-driven though they may be, as this year goes forward. Folks, we've been talking with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing up in South Dakota. Dwayne, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. Folks, stay with us. When AOA returns, we're going to talk policy. Jackie Fatka, Associate Editor at AgriPulse, will be joining us, so stay tuned. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Welcome to the 2023 corn sprint. Please be silent as the runners take their marks. And looks like one plant has already pulled into an early lead because it's been enhanced with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Wait, wait, and the early favorite has crossed the finish line. Get the most out of your fertilizer investment. Don't forget to add Biopath to your early season application. Talk to your retailer about Mosaic Biologicals today or visit cornsprint.com. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Thank you. 
What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. June is Dairy Month, and we're seeing some action on dairy policy in Washington, D.C. Joining us now for an update is Jackie Fatka. She's the associate editor over at AgriPulse. And Jackie, thanks for joining us today. Always great to be with you, Mike. So we have been talking off and on here on the AOA program about the potential modernization of federal milk marketing orders. And I understand we're seeing some process or some progress rather in this process. Jackie, can you fill us in on what happened this week? Yeah. So uh, this week, actually, USDA put out a an action plan, which they're not saying they're ready to proceed with a, a hearing, but they're actually saying, OK, well, we're going to do a pre-hearing. We're going to get some more information. But then they actually in that action plan said, if we should choose to move forward with the hearing, it will probably be towards the end of August, August 23rd. Um, and, uh, you know, this is this has been a, um, there's a couple different proposals that are out there. Um, this latest one that USDA actually made a decision on with this pre-hearing announcement is from the National Milk Producers Federation, which has a lot of producers, but also some of the members, cooperative members who are uh, participants in that. And, and they have asked for a hearing on several different components of the federal milk marketing order. And I, I, I have covered milk policy for many years, but the, the joke is that very few people actually understand milk policy. But part of it is, is how you create a, uh, the floor in some ways of, of where prices should be to make sure that it is fair marketing, both for processors to make sure that they can make money, but also for producers to make sure that they're making money. Um, and so the National Milk Producers Federation, they had a proposal out at the beginning of May. So USDA had to act within 30 days to either uh, accept the petition, ask for more information or deny the petition. Um, IDFA, the International Dairy Foods Association Federation, IDFA Association, uh, they had their own proposal out uh, actually in, in April. So USDA also had 30 days to act on their petition. So there's a little difference between those. IDFA is actually was only looking at one part of this, this whole thing, which is the make allowance. And that's how you would price out cheese, dairy, nonfat dry milk, different components of what your milk goes towards. And um, 
and and, a, and the national milks proposal was actually make allowances plus some of the other things a class one mover cheese prices a couple different things and so now the secretary and and the folks at usda they're going to have a hearing here in two weeks on june 16th they're going to get some more information and then they're going to proceed on on how they're going to to take that full hearing and that full hearing gives all producers the opportunity to talk about the impact and and you know what this would mean and this is almost an 18 month process so it's it's not short it's it's a long process so we're really just at the beginning of this this process and there's this is just the regulatory side and the dairy industry is also asking for some legislative things within the farm bill and so there's some who say we should wait until after the farm bill so there's a couple of different opinions out there we'll see how this all comes together but obviously a lot of folks in milk country are concerned with with how the the process is right now we've not really seen an update for over 20 years on some of these things so there is opportunity to make some improvements but there's not a huge consensus there's some shared common goals but we'll see where this goes moving forward okay that was going to be my next question jackie was because the milk marketing order hit so many different aspects of the dairy production and supply chain i've got to imagine by the time this hearing gets here there will be a lot of different requests pointing in a lot of different directions on this thing or are they broadly pointing in the same direction you know it it is similar but obviously not exactly the same. Um, you know, one thing the national milk producers have done um, over 150 meetings over the last couple of years, they've really tried to, to gain some consensus going into when their proposal, they, they put, first put in their petition request. Um, and, you know, obviously producers are going to have a different, uh, a different look at it than the processors are, but some processors some cooperatives also act as, as processors, right? So Lando Lakes and, and some of those different um, companies who also process dairy products um, are supportive of, of this more comprehensive approach. So, you know, the, at the end of the day, though, it's not the processors who will um, approve or deny whatever USDA may or may not come up with. It is the producers. This is a producer referendum. If they like whatever USDA comes, they can vote it up or down. And it's and it's basically whoever shows up to vote. So if you don't show up to vote, your voice is not counted. It's not 10,000 total producers and, and you know, however many come in. If you have to go in, you have to vote at the end of the day. So it's, it's the producers who are going to have this final say. And so I think that that will be an important part of that too, to make sure that the producers are able to, to, to advance whatever USDA may come up with. But it's worth remembering that that potential vote on any updated federal milk marketing orders, Jackie, as you mentioned, 18 months minimum uh, from us now, right? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be well out until next year. Um, and so it, it just takes time. You know, there's going to be a hearing possibly at the end of August, then they'll take all of that information. They would then, um, you know, provide some, they would introduce a rule, they would provide opportunity to comment on the rule. So it, it it's definitely has 
this, I mean, 18 months is kind of short for some things, right? Some policy things in regulatory world take a lot longer, but there is a, a pretty defined timeline. Um, like I said, USDA had 30 days to act on this petition request. Now they have 120 days after they proposed the action plan to hold the hearing. So there is some very specific time um, markers that they have to to fill to, to get this through the system. All right. We'll continue to keep an update on this as it does grind its way through the regulatory process. But Jackie, in the meantime, we saw a four-month process to raise the debt ceiling finally come to a conclusion on Friday morning with the Senate vote to, uh, to pass that measure. And I'm wondering, how much does this change the farm bill debate now that we get back to regular order in Congress? Oh, man. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people have been waiting for this this debt, this debt bill to get through so they could actually start working on the farm bill. Right. I mean, it's taken up a lot of the, the air in, in the in the room when it comes to getting anything going um, on Capitol Hill. And so, you know, I think that's the first thing. I, I don't think we're going to see this really um, farm bill is not going to happen until September, I think. So, I, I mean, I still think uh, despite everyone's promises of trying to get this done on time, I think. They're not going to start in earnest until after the August recess on this. Um, you know, a big a big issue always within the farm bill debates is is about SNAP, about the food stamp program, nutrition assistance, and um, you know that did get pulled into this debt ceiling, this debt ceiling discussion. Um, surprisingly, though, you know the big thing about putting work requirements for those that nutrition assistance that was hoped to be seen as a way to save money. Um, but then they actually allowed um, some different changes to that. So they they increased the work requirement from where it is right now to those who are 49 um, to 54, um, which you think, okay, well, we've got five more years of potential able-bodied working adults who would no longer be on the program. Um, but then they also actually... Um, in a negotiation, right? That's what that's what Congress does when they do these things. They negotiate. Um, they they made some exclusions to those work requirements for those who are homeless or veterans or or people ages eighteen to twenty four who are coming out of foster care. So actually, the SNAP provisions that are in the debt bill actually increased, did not decrease the total cost. Um, and so you know. Stab Debbie Stabenow, the, the Senate Ag Committee Chairwoman, she's like, all right, well, we've dealt with this. We don't need to continue to deal with this. Um, but on the House side, uh, Representative Thomas Thompson, who is uh, the the chair on the House side, he actually said, wait a second, we may not we may not have this. Uh, there, there may be opportunities to still bring this up again. And I don't know if that's because McCarthy is coming down on them when they saw that CBO score that said this is going to cost more. Maybe they've still got to figure out a way to to preach to their base that they're they're doing more on that. But I mean, who are you going to take money away from the homeless veterans or those who are coming out of foster care? It, it seems like a hard sell. It does. And Jackie, frankly, I'm just surprised we're, we're not putting that issue to bed. But it does sound like we'll have at least house conversations about work requirements under SNAP again as this warms up, huh? You know, I think everybody wanted this to be put to bed. You know, like it's just something that that really just and I've said this before, it really just sends people to their corners and, and, and keeps people from really talking. And so when it comes to Farm Bill, you know, we need all of those other issues um, to be able to, to not have such politically divisive um, issues that are, that are cutting the ability to make good choices, right? So, gosh, I wish this was out of the discussion, but yeah, I don't think it's going to be. They're going to find a way to get it back in the Farm Bill discussion, probably. 
All right, folks, things to keep an eye on out of Washington, D.C. as this year goes forward. We've been speaking with Jackie Fatka, the associate editor at AgriPulse. Jackie, thanks so much for joining us today. Great. Great talking with you. Thanks, Mike. Stick around, folks. We'll talk cotton here when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, we're seeing a bit of a mixed day in the grain and oilseed trade on this Friday with the soy complex trading moderately higher. Corn is trading just below unchanged and wheat has now given up some of its early gains as well here. Well, meantime, cattle and hogs are trading moderately higher. Now, the deal to raise the debt ceiling until 2025, passing through the Senate, and now is on to the president's desk. So that is giving some optimism here in the stock market with the Dow up almost 400 points, NASDAQ up 23, S&P up 29, and crude oil is up around $72 a barrel, almost $2 higher. We also saw this morning's jobs report, the economy creating 339,000 jobs in May, and that was well above trade expectations of 190,000 jobs. So that is helping to give some support again into the outside markets, which is spilling over here into uh, part of our ag trade as well. Now we're watching the weather. Dry weather here is a bit of a short-term concern that might have been behind some of yesterday's big rally, but rain in the forecast for the second half of June is keeping traders uh, not necessarily worrying too much about the weather right now. Uh, however, that drought monitor expanding yesterday, and so it is something to definitely keep our eyes on. Export sales saw decent sales, uh, corn and beans. We did see old crop wheat sales were a net reduction. Speaking of wheat, the war in Ukraine doesn't seem to matter to traders that much anymore, despite the fact that vessels leaving the Black Sea are sparse and that Russia is intentionally trying to slow inspections and traffic down. Cattle and hogs off to a good start here on Friday with more follow-through strength here in the cattle trade. It appears feedlot country trade yesterday, $7 and $9 higher. Hogs seeing a decent up day here as well. Overall, livestock and the soy complex, the upside leaders. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. 
54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track, no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and hopefully we're going to be talking cotton here in just a little bit with our friends from the National Cotton Council. We saw some changes on the rules that govern cotton exports to the country of Bangladesh, which is a very large textile manufacturer, has been a good cotton customer of America's in the past, and it might get better in the future. Hopefully we'll talk through that in just a little bit. Before we do, however, I want to call up something that's happening across the pond over in Europe. We've talked quite a bit here on the AOA show about the challenges that European farmers have been facing over the past two or three years now as the EU has attempted to put tighter controls on greenhouse gas emissions, chemical uh, pesticide usage, and also restoring natural areas. And there have been a couple of big laws working their way through the European Parliament. The two biggest ones, at least from an agricultural perspective, are what they're calling the Nature Law, which is a series of binding requirements for countries in the European Union to, quote, restore their degraded natural habitats. And part of the discussion happening around this law is what constitutes a degraded natural habitat. And there are some in the environmental uh, lobby in Europe who argue that agricultural land is a degraded natural habitat that needs to be repaired. So that's obviously a concern for growers over in Europe. And there's another law working called the chemical law, which would work to cut chemical pesticide applications in half across the European Union by 2030. Now, the rules of these uh, these different laws have been attempted in several countries across the European Union. We've seen uh, the Netherlands, rather, be a leader in trying to put these emissions requirements into practice, and there have been substantial farmer pushback. We talked with, uh, with Bill Wirtz about the uh, protests that we've seen from that country, and they continue. And what's interesting from an ag perspective is that the political backlash against these kind of laws in the European Union is growing. Earlier this week, it was announced that the largest party in the European Parliament, the European People's Party, they're broadly considered to be a center-right party, as I mentioned, the largest in Parliament. On Wednesday, they walked out of negotiations around this new law. They said, quote, it was because the the talks are not listening to the concerns of their members, and they're not listening to the concerns of agriculturalists. The lawmaker uh, from the European political party, Christine Schneider, said, quote, the law was poorly drafted in the first place. 
on European agriculture, forestry, and fisheries. Now, these laws aren't dead in the European Parliament. Um, with the walkout of the EPP, there will likely be a renegotiation and a rediscussion. But uh, these are expected to stick around. Two parliament committees have already rejected this law, which is kind of a signal that it's a, going to be a tough road ahead in the EU. And yet its backers continue to push it. We'll watch and see if this political backlash in Europe will overcome the drive to get these two big laws into place. And we'll continue to keep track of what's happening with those farmers, particularly in the Netherlands, as these emissions requirements kick into gear. While we're talking global news here, we've got an update from Taiwan. This is another massive potential global flashpoint here in the world of global trade. The United States, of course, uh, partners a lot with Taiwan. We buy most of our computer chips from that country. They're a very uh, a high-end manufacturing country. And for the first time, this is the first deal under new trade talks between Taiwan and the U.S. on Thursday, we signed an official trade talk with Taiwan. Now, this deal, uh, it should say we are officially starting trade talks with Taiwan. This is called the U.S.-Taiwan Initiative on 21st Century Trade. The ball got started rolling on this last August. We can remember uh, uh, then-Speaker Nancy Pelosi traveling over to Taiwan really irked the Chinese Communist Party. President Xi Jinping views Taiwan as China. The Chinese government refuses to recognize the country of China. To the Chinese Communist Party, Taiwan is basically a province of China. They operate under what's called the One China Policy. And part of China's massive global reach means that any country who does business with China also has to recognize or typically does recognize that one China policy. We ignore Taiwan. That's well, That was the United States protocol beginning under Richard Nixon in the 1970s. That's turning now. And we've got the United States officially entering into agreements with Taiwan. And the concern is that President Xi Jinping of China isn't going to take too kindly to this. Now, so far, the Chinese have come out with several comments uh, uh, against this type of agreement. They have denounced the trade talks, but they do that with every form of high-level engagement between Taiwan and any other country, but especially with the United States. And it's worth noting that Taiwan does reject China's sovereignty claims. The Taiwanese say we are a separate country, and uh, Beijing has been trying to ignore that for years and years. We'll continue to watch how this plays out longer term, but Europe and China are going to be flashpoints in both policy and in the ag markets as we look out through 2023. Another flashpoint, a piece of news that is improving, at least in the United States, continues to be the spread of highly pathogenic avian influenza. Paraguay, down in South America, recently had their first outbreak. Uh, it was a backyard flock back in May, and um, we're continuing to watch this spread around the country, or excuse me, around the world. In the U.S., however, we're actually seeing high-path avian influenza infections continue to come down. We're not out of the woods quite yet. We have not seen any major changes in the status of different states here since uh, Indiana was removed as a, as a highly contagious state earlier this month. But Canada is still a concern. Of course, those migrating birds now that we're getting into summer, they have made their way all the way back north, bringing with them, unfortunately, some of this high-path AI. And uh, Canadian officials reported the country's first case of high-path AI in mammals, worth noting, not a bird, on Prince Edward Island. HPAI also is going to be impacting 
meat com- meat processing company revenues here. Uh, notably, uh, uh, Jenny O is going to see some impact from the turkey losses here over the past year. And Jenny O, of course, coming out in a large part of Minnesota. We've got other Minnesota news for protein producers. Wyndham, Minnesota, a town in the southwest part of the state, longtime home of a pork processing facility. It has been announced that that facility is likely going to close. Uh, the future has is, is still been up in the air. They have informed visa workers that it, they will no longer be needed. And uh, that facility went up for auction back in Friday, back Friday of last week, and it did not find a buyer. The auction is still ongoing. I'll be working to find some places to, uh, excuse me, I'll be working to find some ways to get that resolved. Here we've got another piece of news um, coming from the broad economy. Taking a look at the stock market here today, the equity markets are on fire. Dow Jones up 438 points, S&P up 37, NASDAQ up 52. We're seeing this bullish attitude carry forward into commodities, as we talked about on the cattle side earlier today with the Wayne Bussey. We're also seeing it hit in some of the grains. Currently, we've got soybeans up 10 to 16 cents, 10 in the new crop, 16 in the old crop. And a lot of this optimism at the macro level is being driven by some big news, big piece of news. We touched on it there with Jackie Fatka in the last segment, the debt ceiling deal. It's done. Nothing really changed as we heard yesterday from Bill Hoagland, small savings potentially over the next two years. But importantly, it's a huge area of uncertainty that the market now doesn't have to worry about. It's at least pushed out of the headlines and the trade can focus on other pieces of economic information. And this morning, we got another broadly favorable piece of economic information. And this was jobs. The economy added 339,000 jobs in the month of May. Economists were anticipating 190,000. So 140,000 more jobs created than expectations. That is a huge jump. Now, it's worth noting that the unemployment rate actually did tick up, despite the fact that we had more people looking for jobs. That's one of those weird curiosities of the way we count statistics. Since the unemployment rate is made up only of people who are looking for work but can't find one, if you get disappointed in the labor market and say, I'm not even looking for a job, you don't count as unemployed under these statistics. So as the economy is coming roaring back, we're seeing more people get back into the job market. They're looking for jobs again, but they still don't have one. So we saw the unemployment rate tick up. It went from 3.5% up to 3.7% here in uh, in May of 2022. Now, it's worth noting that the Labor Department also revised higher March and April's job gains. In total, they added about 45,000 each month. We added another 90,000 jobs there. It's another sign that the consumer resilience, and here in agriculture, we've seen the example of that consumer resilience at the meat case, it would appear that it is going to be sticking around. Now, the downside, for those of you who might be heavily leveraged or looking to borrow money later on this year, this is a sign that the labor market is still hot. And Fed Chairman Jerome Powell has said repeatedly they will be watching for interest rates to cool the labor sector. So if these five, five and a quarter percent interest rates aren't doing the job to bring that that labor rate down, this rate of hiring down and wages were up 4.3% from a year ago, another strong gain. If these rates aren't bringing those back, then Fed Chair Jerome Powell might have to lay off his promise to pause the rate hikes. We might have to see them continue. 
Now, that might be a ways away. We won't have any updates from the Fed, at least for some time, though over this weekend, we'll start to hear Fed governors get out and they will be talking about these two different factors and the combination which they'll have to put together in order to keep this inflation, interest rate, and job gain dance moving. Folks, we will be talking cotton later in the program, or excuse me, later next week. We'll get an update on what's happening there in Bangladesh with our friends from the Cotton Council. Stick with us, though, here when AOA returns. We're going to check in with Greg Solier, meteorologist on This Week in Agribusiness. We're going to talk about that dryness that's developing across the Corn Belt, and what's the story with these pop-up storms we've seen over the past couple days in the Corn Belt. Leave it here for more AOA when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too to be a beacon of strength, a champion of courage, an advocate for hope. You are not alone because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. It's the most important race of the year. The one where winning is everything. Where the decisions you make now can and will define your entire season. The yields you're dreaming of are either won here or lost here. This is Corn Sprint 2023. You win it with Biopath. 
a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company, specially formulated to make nutrients more available during the most critical uptake periods and strengthen root systems for better absorption. It's the kind of edge that gets your crops all the way to the finish line with greater yield potential, greater return on your fertilizer investment, and just plain old greatness. So win the corn sprint. Include Biopath in your early season fertilizer application. Contact your local retailer or visit cornsprint.com. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. At YMCA Summer Camp, kids find their why. Friendship and fun, a world of adventure beneath a golden sun. Running, laughing, full of wonder, being themselves is second nature. Summer Camp is where they begin to unlock the confidence that lies within. When kids find new passions, they find their why. Summer Camp season starts soon. Learn more at ymca.org for a better us. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and now our focus is going to turn to the weather. Meteorologist Greg Solier of This Week in Agribusiness joins us now. And Greg, I took a look at the drought monitor that came out yesterday, and man, there was a bit of expansion of drought across the eastern Corn Belt. Yeah, not uh, too surprising. It is certainly into play here uh, from abnormally dry to uh, moderate drought conditions. That abnormally dry area covering uh, virtually all of the eastern Corn Belt right now. We know it's been locked into position in the western complex, but uh, worsening in the areas from northeast Illinois back to the Quad Cities of Rock Island, Moline, and then trails back down to a little south of Champaign-Urbana. And then just across the border in through uh, western Indiana. So the heart of that golden triangle part of the eastern Corn Belt in a moderate drought. And I'm sure the next couple of, eh, next week to 10 days, there might even be another categorical worsening of that. Also farther east into Pennsylvania, uh, the mid-Atlantic region, parts of the northeast of New England. Uh, areas that have seen drought improvements surprisingly from a few weeks ago and a few months ago. California, uh, Montana, parts of the Dakotas and still locked into position. But a forecast here over the next two or three weeks for some of the worst drought areas of Nebraska, Kansas and Oklahoma, West Texas as well, we'll see market improvements. So we've really flipped Mother Nature and the atmosphere on its side here. 
the haves versus have-nots really coming into play here over the past uh, couple of weeks and going forward out the next two or three weeks as well. All right, Greg. Well, let's zero in on that potential drought relief coming in the Southern Plains, Western parts of the Corn Belt. When do you anticipate that to get started? Could we see more rains this weekend? Yeah, we're already underway, raining out towards uh, Grand Island this uh, morning and uh, in areas of southwestern Kansas. And it is uh, already into play with some shower activity uh, through Big Sky Country. Flood watches in effect. That particular part of the country, the Black Hills, Nebraska Panhandle, into West Texas Cotton. Here's a range and an example of how it's been for the month of May. Almost 10 inches of rain. All-time record amounts in Border, Texas. That's just a little northeast of Amarillo. Not even a quarter inch of rain in the gauge for the month of May at uh, uh, Omaha, Nebraska. So there is your range. But uh, yeah, the next uh, couple of days into the weekend, probably into the next uh, week time frame as well. These clusters of slow-moving, downpour-producing, all-or-nothing showers and thunderstorms will continue for Montana. Uh, additional drought relief, but again, coming all-or-nothing. You wonder how much of that is soaked into the ground, how much of it gets run off for Nebraska, Kansas, and the western half of Oklahoma into West Texas cotton. And outside of some of the western Corn Belt locales, not much going on. We're actually waiting until the 10th to 15th of May. That looks to be the critical time for some of these eastern Corn Belt locales to get the next significant better coverage outbreaks of showers and thunderstorms. So we're easily a week to 10 days plus before anything gets going. On top of that, some 90 degree heat out of the upper Midwest, Great Lakes region, northern and central Corn Belt locales. So there will be probably a little stress and strain beginning to show up in some of these abnormally dry areas in the eastern Corn Belt too. I'm really glad you brought up temperatures, Greg, because even though we've seen this expansive dryness across so much of the corn growing uh, region here in the country, moderate temps have, have kept folks feeling somewhat optimistic. You mentioned there, those 90 degree temperatures. What do you expect the spread to be and anything substantially above normal on your uh, radar? Yeah, well, you know, uh, yesterday, uh, Bismarck at uh, actually two days ago, 97 degrees at Bismarck, even 92 at Muskegon, Michigan. That's right next to the Lake Michigan shoreline. But we do anticipate, as you pointed out, we're almost making a full circle turn here. We went from heat and humidity, some storm clusters, and then we're drying out the air mass and stabilizing it. So not much of any organized rain for the Corn Belt. But at the same time, we ease temperatures down from that low and mid 90 degree range over the weekend to readings actually a few degrees below average, upper 70s to middle 80s for those uh, Corn Belt locales over the weekend and through much of next week too. And with the drier air, nighttime temperatures will fall back into more comfortable environments. So we won't be cooking those Oh, hey, Greg, we lost you there just a little bit. I think that mute button got hit. But I did want to ask you a question. While we're thinking about those thunderstorms that were happening here over the past uh, couple of days. Yes. You know, across northern Illinois, Greg, yesterday, I saw these thunderstorms. They popped up and they didn't move. They just sat in the same location. A neighbor a mile away might not have gotten a single drop. What is it that causes those thunderstorms to erupt on an otherwise still and humid day? Well, you know, you need a certain critical temperature. You obviously need moisture in the air. But what uh, generates these storms to just sit there and do nothing as in their movement are weak steering currents up aloft. That's a trademark of El Nino uh, with uh, the warmth and high pressure and a light wind circulation through the Midwest and the plains. Uh, or it's out of a south and southwest direction. 
winds up a lot, still generally light, even through the Plain States areas, but you get the magic temperature, the copious amounts of moisture, and you're off to the races with these uh, bubbling up showers, thunderstorms, and again, with weak steering currents, they tend to rain themselves out, multi-inch in a given spot or two, hence the flood watches over the northern and central high plains. So the same mechanism was there in the eastern and the central Corn Belt locales. It still be the western sections for the day-to-day, but then again, everybody tends to move into a drier air mass and so hence won't be able to bubble up the atmosphere. So you need a certain temperature that was about 88 to 92 yesterday across parts of the plains and Corn Belt locales in particular and Gulf moisture or atmospheric moisture, dew points that were up and uh, elevated and hence the showers and thunderstorms get going. Again, that will be changing with this drier but still warm northeast wind flow across much of the Corn Belt, but ongoing west of the Missouri, the showers and thunderstorms for the weekend. All right. So if you're seeing one of your neighbors get one of those pop-up thunderstorms you need to raise the temperature above your place greg am i understanding that correctly that is correct yeah you got a temperatures that got to come up uh, you got to have a certain what we call dew point level and you got to have those steering currents that are certainly weak now adding to the problem you get a little rush of some cooler to colder air up aloft off the mountains and that's why you come up with these baseball golf ball softball sized hails that come down uh, out of uh, the black hills and into west texas so it's really a three-pronged situation wind hail and flooding rainfall in those plain states areas so much for the uh, late arriving severe weather season oh man so much to watch for folks eastern corn belt sounds like 10 to 15 days of potential dry time greg you mentioned western corn belt folks might see that relief coming we have been talking today with greg solier he's the meteorologist each weekend on this week in agribusiness and greg thanks for joining us today thank you my friend have a great weekend Folks, we hope you all have a great weekend as well. Tune in on Monday. We'll talk markets. We'll talk weather. Our friend John Baranek will join us once again. Take care, everyone, and have a good weekend. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Get on board. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. board. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift.
Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. 